Hello, everyone. This is Vern Davis. I am your host of Plant Profits, and thank you for joining us today. I have been looking forward to a couple years, I think, to having this this guest on our show here at Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you by uh, Protus Global. Um, we are joined this week with co-founder of a queer-founded leading cannabis-infused beverage company, disrupting the industry with its first sessionable THC drink. My guest today, I'm sure you all know, is the co-founder of Can, Mr. Luke Anderson. Luke, how are you, man? Hey, um, I'm all right. I'm still <laughs> almost four years into this craziness, and I'm still kicking. So I guess there's there's that to be thankful for. You're kicking it well, man. I, I I'm as I I said in the opening, I'm excited to to actually have this conversation with you because we've had some phone conversations. And so I'm not unfamiliar and I've been following what's been happening and I love what's been happening. And I'll tell you more about that as we talk today, what I think that you're doing better than most. And, um, and I'm excited about that. But I want folks to kind of understand you and your journey a little bit and what's behind the success of CAN that comes through and, um, and how you've done all this, this and Four years is not a long period of time when you're creating a consumer brand. So, and you've done a lot. You guys have uh, uh, achieved many, um, many milestones and objectives, I'm sure, and you'll, you'll enlighten us more. But look, just, you know, thinking about your, your background, your education, I mean, you, you sandwiched a, um, a master's of education degree at BU with an engineering degree uh, at Stanford and a, and a Harvard MBA. So you, you've, you've been on some type of mission, right. To get it right. And you've, you've, you've done really, really, really well. Um, but you you know, when you look at that, how did you get to cannabis? You know, if you look at your journey, I want to hear about that, your journey, right. You, 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 you did all these things. You were at Bain consulting, right? You, uh, you lived abroad, you, uh, you did all these things. And, and how did you get to cannabis four or five years ago? Man, that is, uh, that is so weird to just hear back some of that stuff. Cause it's like, it feels like another lifetime. Right? Yeah. One in cannabis feels like a lifetime. And, um, and so <clears throat> this is like, whew, uh, so what, Two, two answers to that question. The first one, why I'm here is really my my very good friend and co-founder, Jake Bullock, happened to grow up in Colorado. Okay. And he watched legalization happen uh, mm -hmm. from his front yard growing up in such a big and powerful way. And he's a very smart guy. We, we met when we were in our mid-20s at Bain & Company. Okay. We both were uh, closeted queer individuals and we were over drinking alcohol as a ways to cope with that um, identity crisis that we were going through. And, and at that time, you know, 10 years ago, really wasn't okay to be outwardly queer in business even, which, which I think we kind of forget. And um, just that's how a, much that's a, that's a very fair point. And we do forget, you know, well, we do forget. 
And, and so feeling like you're not comfortable in your own skin at work and then abusing alcohol and, and, you know, hard drugs as a, as a result of that, I think is a very common thing that queer people experience. And, uh, Jake and I were, we were both trying to figure out how to curb the alcohol drinking and, and get mm-hmm. healthier. And we, we would take these 30 day breaks from booze and, and then, and we like lose a little weight or we would start like feeling more fresh and able to do our jobs. But then, um, as soon as the 30 day period was over, it was time for another boozy vacation. And then we were right back in it. Right. And it was, uh, it was really just a tough experience. And, and I think people who drink to excess and, and habitually, they understand how hard it is to deal with the social, emotional, physical consequences of when, when you take it too far. And Jake had this idea because he is a very systems-based thinker and he thinks in historical context. And he said, you know, one day microdose THC beverages are going to be the replacement for, for alcohol that we're all kind of looking for. And wow. I was like, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> it gets you so stoned and like, you can't even talk to people at parties because it's just, and, and then, you know, we would kind of laugh about it. And over a few vacations, like I would be on one side of the table arguing no, and he would be arguing yes. And eventually um, we would go uh, our separate ways. And I moved to London and he went to Stanford GSB where he actually incubated the project with a few friends. And, and so he had a prototype. It was a different brand name. And, and uh, I had heard that he was working on this at about at the time that I had my first two day long hangover and it was age 30. I was like, oh my God, I can't like go out on a Saturday and have it impede my ability to function on a Monday. Like that yeah. is. And, and I was working in a unit at Bain that helped big consumer goods startups behave more like startups and deploy budgets smartly and, and focused experiments to get a product to launch. And I reached out to him and I said, you know, I just gave a presentation to a bunch of people about how to be a startup. And I'm kind of feeling a weird that like, I haven't actually done a startup. (laughs) So maybe you have a good idea that I'm starting to understand. Like Mm -hmm. I I was replacing some alcohol with cannabis uh, gummies and biting biting a five milligram gummy in half would like get me, you know, loose for an hour or two. Mm -hmm. Low dose consumers like that is, that is a powerful effect for, for some. And so um, we, we, just linked up and we moved to LA and raised a little money and mm-hmm. got, got going with it. So, so really the cannabis angle was, it was all the, the whole idea for can, including the brand name, it was, it was Jake. And um, I, I really jumped on board to say like, Hey, I'll be your Eduardo Saverin, Mark Zuckerberg. And <laughs> I'm, uh, I'll just be along for the ride. And right. became very emotionally attached to it. We worked hand in hand in developing the, the visual identities and, building the team from scratch, learning the supply chain. It, it was a, nobody had ever done a microdose THC beverage before other than in theory. And so we were really motivated to bring the first one to market. And, um, and so I, I, I give Jake a lot of credit for, for the, the original concept. But, well, uh, that's, that's, that's a hell of a story uh, about how this all came to be. Let's talk about some of the challenges. Let's, let's talk about the growth. I mean, you're in a fast growing business. You're running a fast-growing business right now, and um, there's so many things I like about it. I, you know what I like about it? It's a damn brand. 
It's a brand. We're missing brands in cannabis and you have a brand. And, and I want to hear some of the challenges in creating a branded product because to do it, you, you guys have been very disciplined about not bringing different items in under an umbrella type brand. Your can is can. You know, there's line extensions, but they're all functional and, and, and you can understand as a consumer what they do and why it's part of can. And I think that is huge, by the way. I said a little, but it's a lot. No, it's one of the most important things uh, that, that we've stuck to is, is mm-hmm. our, our product um, values. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is a social cannabis experience that helps you uh, wean off alcohol by drinking it in the same ways that you would. And, and it is also a brand that stands for, don't worry, we're not going to get you too high. And I think mm-hmm. the consumer, there's a huge, hundreds of millions of people feel that way in America. Like, oh, no, I don't want to get too high. Oh, we're not, we're not serving them. And there are very few brands that have refused to go above that five milligram threshold, which really mm-hmm. can create a very negative experience for somebody. Oh, so, everybody's had that, that bad brownie experience. Right. And I think um, we've been so thoughtful about it, it just mm-hmm. because that's that's what Jake and I wanted. Um, I had no cannabis experience. He had some. We both were trying to drink less booze. I was probably trying to drink less more urgently than he was. Mm-hmm. And, and we said, hey, let's make something that suits both of our needs because there's a lot of other people out there like us. And and if you can keep a brand specific in in what it is believing in and how it speaks to you about that, throughout years, then you mm-hmm. stand a chance of, of bringing some legitimacy and consistency to an industry that really, I think, needs it. Absolutely. No, totally. Uh, it, it does. The industry uh, needs brands and needs a lot of discipline in creating those, those brands. And you guys are doing a really nice job. But there's some challenges that come with building a, a brand a company from, from the, you know, the ground up. And, um, have you, what have you found about bringing folks from other industries into the cannabis space, right? Into the cannabis working for you guys that can, what are some of the experiences that you've had and what are successes? What do you think is the key to being successful in making that transition over the, over the hurdle? So I think one of the greatest things that we did, and it, it relates very, very closely to how you talk about the brand building yeah. is by making something that's so clear and specific. We didn't make it like, Hey, come work in cannabis because can was its own thing. And it had its own magnetism that, that mm-hmm. would, you know, attract somebody who understood the reason for, for the product existing. And so we got a lot of inbound re- recruits that just, yeah. that just came out of the woodwork in the early days very much optimized for energy around the product and brand did mm-hmm. not seek out people with very, very specific professional skill sets because nobody had done what we were doing before. We were building mm-hmm. a plane while we were flying it. And that plane needed a, a type of engine that had never ha- you know, been made before. So we were all kind of just one problem at a time. But if we had high energy, smart and motivated people, mm-hmm. we in the early days of building something new, especially a brand in a federally illegal market, it, it, you don't really need to pay 
too much for somebody who has done something for 20 years. You need someone who's going to show up and work 18 hours a day, you know, mixing a keg, even if they have an MBA. Like Mm -hmm. I I lived in a dispensary for an entire month with an apron and just was sampling product just because no one was buying it. And I was like, well, I better better freaking sell it. (laughs) and, and, And I think you can't have an ego at an early stage startup. Regardless of your background, you have to be able to show up, roll up your sleeves, and and value the equity and and its ultimate um, growth potential. Mm-hmm. But when we started growing faster, and we you know we went from moving a tens of thousands of cases in 2018 to moving about a million cases in or sorry 2019 tens of thousands of cases mm-hmm. about a million cases in 2020, and we are. Um, approaching our 10 millionth case now uh, wow. through t- 2022. So it really has been a hockey stick in volume, yes. but uh, at, a, at, a, at many points along the way, we had to start to figure out how to bring in people with real experience. And we, you know, we had a, a sales issue. And so I put my hands on building the sales team and said, all right, yeah. let's I remember that. Together. Yeah. I remember when you, you said you had to do ambassadors. that. I called yeah. you and I was like, come on, anybody who's like sold anything before. And yeah. so, but, but that loved can, they had a place here, but at a certain point, once we had multiple territories and different tiers of accounts, yeah. I was out of my depth. And so I, I brought in um, a, a friend of mine, Chelsea Bedard, who was a national or global account executive at Dell EMC. And she brought in a, another person who was from the tech sales world and really helped us go from our our you know one millionth uh, can to our ten millionth can. can. Well, you know that journey. I want to talk more about how you've grown that through people and um, the discipline that you've had to sh- to to show and bringing talent on board as you as you uh, have to show and building a brand called Can. Uh, I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host. Of Plant Profits and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. My guest today on Plant Profits is Luke Anderson, co-founder of Can. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. And I am having a great discussion today with Luke Anderson, who is the co-founder of CAN. And uh, Luke, as we continue our discussion, uh, you're really talking about what the difference it, it, it's been in going from 1 million cases to today, you know, 10 million cases, which is a tremendous growth uh, in sales and production and many things come with that. And the, the type of person or employee or partner that you need in different places changes as you grow. And how are you planning for that? Because this thing is going to continue to grow. Uh, I mean, it's, um, it, 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 it's a phased evolution. Uh, okay. And there's a lot of things that are happening that are outside of this company that will hit us because the industry uh, over the last year, you know, public equities and cannabis have been in steep decline and right. a lot of investment has pulled out of the space. Uh, I, I think you have to be reactive to what's going on in the market and understand that if there isn't as much 
of a tailwind from just a MSO uh, capitalization perspective or uh, a an outside capital uh, investment perspective, you have to be really conservative and you have to mm-hmm. go back to that that startup. Everyone has every job and we are working together to just keep the plane in the air mentality. And and when you think about uh, those moments, you, you pick partners who are really, really good at something that you okay. could do, but pick a partner that, that does it better than you mm-hmm. and, and say, okay, like, We've got a um, we have an amazing creative operation here at Cannes, but we have a production company that we've partnered with a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And while we could, you know, film our own marketing, and we used to, we now uh, are are partnering and outsourcing our production to people who make some of the best music videos in the world. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's a great you know way for us to continue to elevate our brand without having to invest internally in building out an entire you know, content studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, you know, great field sales and marketing capabilities, but there's an organization called pedal fast that has been building that and then developing a, a, a real set of strong uh, Bev Alk influenced relationship based sales and marketing account management uh, people. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're starting to partner with them in California and deepening our partnership with them elsewhere. And it, it is, um, you know, just like earlier, okay, well, we're at a certain size. I need to bring in some professional sellers. I have the resources. I've raised the capital. Let's build an amazing internal sales team. You know, the the answer for the next year, depending on how the market goes is maybe it's okay. How do I, how do I outsource more of that? And how do we figure out how to strengthen our ops capability so that we can uh, improve our, our gross margins and, and tell a better margin evolution story that, that points mm-hmm. to the sustainability of our business this year. So it's, it's, there's like a two vectors. There's like, what do you need? And like, what's going on mm-hmm. around you? And, mm-hmm. and the answer is different depending on whether the industry is booming or if it is in a moment of decline. And yeah, but you, you know, um, Luke, when your brand is driving like yours is and successful, you you get many more options, right? Um, the, the decisions are really, really important, but you actually can make small mistakes and recover from them because the brand, consumers understand the product is the product. So, uh, yeah, I, I can see how you could struggle with, you know, when 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 do we really need to have bring everything in house, bring those certain things in house and the timing of that. And what are the market conditions and uh, you know, what, what's happening in in the space and in the category. I, I think that those are real, real important, um, real important questions, but I want to, I want to kind of switch and, and really talk about can, why do consumers buy can? 80% of adult drinkers wants to drink less booze. Okay. 60% of adults are curious about cannabis, but only 10% are really actively in a legal market. And, and so the, the way that consumers find products, the way at least Bain trained us is, well, what, what problem are the products solving and yeah. how intensely are people feeling that problem? Mm-hmm. And, and so you got two huge problems here. One is I want to drink less booze, but I don't want to be sober. 
what can you give me? Mm-hmm. And the other is I'm curious about cannabis, but I don't really know where to start. Yeah. And can solves both of those problems. And the cool thing about it being such a big chunk of people that feels not just one, but both of those is it is a, a very easy problem to talk about and relate to other people with and mm-hmm. recommend solutions. So people okay. first can because they show up to a dispensary and they say, hey, I want, I want to try a cannabis drink. But if they happen to be someone who this solves those problems for, like I'm waiting for my first cannabis experience that doesn't suck, or I'm waiting for you know the first drink that I could feel good about holding in my hand at a party, mm-hmm. not feel or not being booze, like you're 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 a life. As long as the product mm-hmm. looks good in your hand, mm-hmm. it's good on the inside, yeah, and tells an interesting story as a brand, and doesn't break the bank then then you will have it in the fridge and it will never leave. You got where, it. Where I think we are really differentiating from the other cannabis beverages, it's where we're definitely hitting the mark on flavor yeah. and hitting the mark on branding yeah, and hitting the mark on storytelling and hitting the mark on relative price point. Well, we're not, we're not fully there on price because you can get a six pack of White Claw for half the price of a six pack of can, can but, yeah. you know, it, it is a, a lot cheaper per drink at, you know, it's $4 a, a can at retail. If you buy a six pack, it, you know, kombucha is $8 at the grocery store. Like we're, we're really not that, you know, kombucha doesn't even get you high at all. Like, no. <laughs> happy with it. And, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a really good story you tell. Um, about why people drink uh, can you know when when this this whole legal state by state cannabis thing kicked off, man? Uh, you know me coming from adult beverage, uh, I, I literally uh, got really excited about what could happen in the beverage space and cannabis. And you guys are a shining star. And you hit on why, right? It looks good in your hand. It tastes great. It doesn't break the bank. It tells a compelling story. All those things are why it happened for you. But I'm telling you, I've been disappointed today if just looking at the raw data. And I still have tremendous hope and belief that liquid is going to be close to, if not the largest consumption arena when we get it right. But um, what's stood in the way? What What's happened? I feel like the two final frontiers that will really make this a huge category are the, yeah. price, the price frontier okay. and the availability frontier. So we, we've solved for brand, we've solved for juice, we've solved for... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, uh, dosing because dosing was the first frontier. Actually, it was like whoa, 100 milligrams. Like if anyone has that by accident, forget it. Um, so dosing, branding, and uh, the the taste of the juice inside. Those are the three right. most important things for a beverage to get right. And then if it's priced so that it doesn't break the bank, you actually continue to incorporate it in your daily routine, maybe. Right. And once the regulations change so that it's more widely available. That's where you really see all hell break loose. It mm-hmm. is, is a huge 
like every everyone who's a can drinker who's found it says I drink 25 to 50% less alcohol than I used to and that is that is a huge chunk of what we have to gain when we can reach into mainstream american households by just having a safe product like can is mm-hmm. it a grocery store like why is this right. different than a beer why, right. why should this be treated so badly when it clearly does not have a, a as harmful an effect as alcohol and and so um that's going to be a long time away. Right now, when we're only scraping off of the, the high THC, let's pay a low dollar per milligram market, we're still going to be niche. And yeah. so if you think about like kombucha, uh, mm-hmm. GT's kombucha was just kind of chilling there for a very long time, selling well, but still being a f- sliver of 1% of the overall beverage market. And and now kombucha has its own aisle with 15 different yeah. brands in one door of the fridge that that the variety that will come after the product is widely available uh, widely available that that drives the legitimacy of the category and Mm -hmm. and really makes it explode oat milk was the same way there was Mm -hmm. one for uh, over a decade it felt like and then suddenly we have an entire fridge full everyone and their mother is making an oat milk or some other nut milk and i think the thc infused beverage revolution is still in its second inning and and only at inning seven or eight will we really start to see it explode. Are people behaving in the category properly? The distributors and the retailers need to prioritize beverage, both from a let's let's have trucks instead of sprinter vans. These things mm-hmm. are heavy. Mm-hmm. We want to allocate space to them. We have to dedicate space to beverage, and also from a retailer perspective, maybe put a fridge in. Like 90% of dispensaries don't even have fridges. It's really crazy or forward facing, yeah. you know, fridges. Right. And, and, oh, if the inventory closet is the size of a small home office, you're only going to be able to fit so many of these things in there. So in, in traditional beverage distribution, you've got large trucks operating efficiently. Nobody's complaining about the case size and weight. Right. And in, in traditional retail, you have a wall of fridges mm-hmm. and, when people devote more space to beverage the and prioritize it from a, a marketing and talk track perspective uh, at the bud tender level, that will support it. But right now, n- neither of those two things are happening consistently. I walk into a dispensary and I, first of all, my beverage is always out of stock because there's never enough room to keep enough that when people buy it, you can pull from the inventory room. Right. And, and even when it is in stock and I say, Hey, I want to drink less booze. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not super high THC. Like what would you recommend to me? Hundred milligram chocolate bar every time. Like, no, 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 no. Like I'm interested in a beverage. No, no, no. The chocolate bar, you could just break off a little bit. No, no, no. Like what about the drinks? Oh no, the drinks aren't that good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this one's out of stock. (laughs) Somebody's drinking that. So how do you, so are you spending money and energy inside the, the uh, dispensary and, and getting people and developing talk tracks with the bud tenders? And is that part of, is that a core part of what you're doing at the retail level or what's happening there? It's probably the most important thing you can do in a moment where the industry is experiencing pain mm-hmm. because the, the closer you get to the decision of somebody buying the closer you can get in inserting your brand there, mm-hmm. the better. And a dollar that you spend further away 
it's great to raise awareness. It's great to capture people's interest, but you, you mm-hmm. are not going to see the results unless you actually invest in a brand ambassador sampling outside of the dispensary right. or a, a bud tender who is so hyper-focused on recommending your product that they are doing that work for you. Is that being successful for you guys? Every time we invest in it, it works, but <laughs> it's, it's about having the uh, extra resources to invest in it. Right. right now, we are we are very focused on preserving capital, and we okay. aren't going to be doing as much bud tender contesting or aggressive, you know, entertainment of of people in, in retail. We're we're going to let the product stand for what it stands for, and know that its loyal consumers continue to buy it, and, and as much frequency as would merit remaining on the shelf for a retailer. So it's, um, it, but, but when we have resources, we mm-hmm. invest in brand ambassadors, we invest in bud tenders, it, it pays. Good. That's a great lesson. The closer to the decision, put the money. Correct. Right. So uh, that's, that's really great. Look, um, I tell you what, Luke, when we come back, I want to talk about some of the things I've seen you guys do to promote can and promote, other things. Um, uh, and we'll do that after this break. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. My guest today is Luke Anderson. And Luke is the co-founder of Can. We'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Mr. Luke Anderson co-founder of can luke you're doing a lot of the right things man Uh, i tell you what you are and you and uh, what you guys are doing at at can are uh, really setting the the pace for what you need to do to create a successful brand in this space and uh, you really understand and i think that your background really helps you um, do the right things and be patient when you have to be and turn on the gas when you have to turn on the gas, man. But look, I want to, you know, promoting the brand can, right. And events and things that you've done that I, I thought was very cool. You know, when uh, 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 you did a pride event with weed maps just recently, not too long ago, I thought that was a very, uh, very cool, you know, in celebration of the LGBTQ plus community and, and, um, and, and you dropped some, you dropped the, your light drinks and you had guys had a concert. Tell me about that. Is that, is that a really effective way for you to do what you got to do to get can in the hands of more people and in a very effective way? Is this, is this, was this a successful event in your mind after you review? So, it, I mean, it, it looked like a really fun concert, but it was actually a music video advertisement. So okay. it was, we didn't do a live event. We yeah. filmed a campaign. We made an original song and we promoted it yeah. um, via their YouTube channel and released the song on streaming and, and had the talent partners in the video um, share it. And I think one of the things that we need to do as an industry better is we need to market cannabis brands as if they are consumer brands. And we need to do things that worked in beverage yesteryear like you know britney's pepsi commercial yes i think we'll ever forget her her dancing on a rooftop with a giant neon pepsi sign behind her and um what if we as a thc infused beverage maker can create a piece of content that 
is as good quality in terms of production as, as that and brings some star power that does not feel like stoner star power. Mm-hmm. It, it reaches people that maybe had never even thought about can before, but have the same pain points of wanting to drink less booze and wanting to try weed, but being afraid of getting too high. Right. Uh, and, and so we pulled together this song. It, it was one of the most fun experiences of my life. And ultimately it was a, a huge success. It's been viewed as a campaign over 5 million times between YouTube and Instagram alone. It is uh, a massive like kind of queer summer hit on Spotify. It's approaching a million streams and the song has our brand name in it. Yeah. The drinks on the album art. And it was put on new music Friday. And and I was like pinching myself. I was like, this is a weed soda jingle. This is not like a, you know, a song that you're going to hear on the radio, but it got played on the radio. And it's like people are playing a weed soda jingle about queer acceptance in Texas, a place where, you know, uh, it's not super safe to grow up being queer and it's definitely not legal to buy a can. So it's, um, we're transcending the confines of an overregulated and very oppressive cannabis industry where you don't have access to the traditional marketing channels. And by welcoming in talent partners like Sarah Michelle Geller and Uh Tisha Arquette, who are incredible straight allies, and have them post about this and, and get, you know, hundreds of thousands of people going nuts for it, that, that helps cannabis reach the mainstream. And even though we want to sell can, and, you know, we had an amazing month of June from a sales perspective. We, Congratulations. We also want to, we want to help to do the work to make cannabis legal and accessible for everybody in the right way. And when I say in the right way, I mean, centering black and brown cannabis entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and doing inclusive marketing that if you're going to have straight allies in a campaign that celebrates pride and cannabis and, and straight white women who are very much becoming attracted to the low dose THC category. Absolutely. You better also have as many queer women of color mm-hmm. who are, uh, or, and trans women of color in the same campaign. And, and so it's, it's something that we care a lot about uh, is representation in our marketing, storytelling about how problematic it is that it takes a Gwyneth Paltrow-backed weed soda to help people understand that cannabis is not a bad thing when there have been indigenous populations and, and legacy operators who have done all of the bricklaying for this industry and who are being excluded from it right now. So um we, we were very proud of the Pride campaign, not just for the impact it had on our business, but for the stories that it sought to, to tell. Terrific. That is absolutely awesome. Um, and it, what, give us a little peek into the future of CAN, right? What, 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 what are you guys going to do um, that consumers should be excited about? Well, we are going to dominate New York. That's, okay. that's something consumers should be excited about. We okay. believe that New York, when it has a network of dispensaries in Manhattan and Brooklyn, we believe it is going to be a huge and transformative moment for the industry because all yeah. these people that have largely 
been doing the the you know flower weed dealer kind of a this is this is what weed culture is in New York are going to start finding new and different ways to connect with their friends that wouldn't smoke with them mm-hmm. that is a it's interesting completely non controversial way for people who are very very high THC cannabis users to connect with people who have felt you know excluded from the market from an approachability perspective so mm-hmm. if you have you know your your mom or your dad judges you for being a stoner or your your colleagues are are kind of like not into it and you want to keep your cannabis use to yourself at work can is going to be a, a great way to bridge the conversation gap and mm-hmm. also bridge the the usage gap that's beautiful man that's great so um <clears throat> new york New York, that's where you're going to be. That's great. So give me some predictions, you know, for cannabis in the U.S. the next 12 months. What are, give me three things you think is going to happen. I think 20 of, 25 to 50% of cannabis brands that are operating today will not be operating this time next year. I think there's going to be a massive shakeout. Any, any yeah. brand that is flower is really in trouble right now because people are switching back to the legacy market because they want to conserve resources. Uh-huh. Um, and, and honestly, it's probably the right thing. Like it, it's a sign to the industry that we have overregulated and created such a, a very predatory tax structure on operators and consumers. And, and that, that needs to change. Yes. Um, I, I think that uh, we will see some legislation mm-hmm. and, I, I hope it's safe banking, but I, I'm not holding my breath. Um, that makes it easier for for people to access cannabis, if not mm-hmm. federally, then hopefully a, a bunch of more states will will make a positive step in the right direction. Right. And I think you will see beverages, especially low dose beverages, continue mm-hmm. to thrive and continue to gain mainstream acceptance. And and you'll you'll see some really amazing. Uh, content and storytelling from us and, and okay. I'm excited to, to bring it to the world. It's great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely uh, looking forward to it. Now, if you had to say something here that was going to make news, make some news. Make some news. <laughs> Come on, Luke. Give me something, man. Make some news. Oh, my God. Is that like, like spilling like some like industry tea or is it like just saying something really controversial or if you believe it, I love that really controversial. Uh, if I believe it, if I believe it, if I believe it. Okay. Okay. I think, I think, I think that the bubble that the cannabis industry experiences right now, the, the, massive uh just cratering of of the public markets Mm -hmm. i i think it's a deserved thing because i think it was brought on by greed and i think Mm -hmm. it was brought on by ego Mm -hmm. and i think that when a, a, a number of unsophisticated and powerful people are trying to build an industry for themselves Mm -hmm the industry deserves to be unhealthy. And, and I think that it will take 
socially conscious operators and powerful socially conscious operators to write the ship. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it is time for, for a change in, in power in the cannabis industry. And I think mm-hmm. that companies that don't have, uh, you know, it, it, companies that don't have people of color in leadership positions, mm-hmm. people of color at, in board positions, mm-hmm. companies that don't hold their investors accountable for investing in black and brown cannabis brands with the same regularity that they do invest in white-owned cannabis brands. Mm-hmm. And I think that white-owned cannabis brands that don't radically redistribute their resources to communities of color, and in particular, entrepreneurs of color, mm-hmm. their investment deserve to pay. I like it. You did what I asked you to do. I appreciate that. That's, uh, you know, but as you know, because of your background, you understand that what's happening now is supposed to happen. It is supposed to happen. We saw it in tech. Right. If if you're rushing in for the land grab, Mm -hmm. we're trying to just get into cannabis, but you don't have a good reason for it and you don't understand where the industry came from. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. It was a great pleasure, Luke, to have you here on Plant Profits. And um, you're welcome back anytime you want to make news. Uh, you can call me up and we can get this thing rolling again. But I want to thank all of you for joining us on Plant Profits. I'm your host, Vern Davis. And uh, my guest today, uh, Mr. Luke Anderson, co-founder of this wonderful brand. I mean, a real brand in the industry can. I love it. And um, I, I, I wish that you guys would go out and listen to Plant Profits on Cannabis Radio and give us a five-star rating and Check us out on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast fix. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you and downloading our our sessions. You can follow Protus Global, my company, through our social footprint on LinkedIn, Insta, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, everything. Finally, learn more about how we're building companies and changing lives and at Protus Global, and you can find Protus Global at protusglobal.com. Look, until next time, cheers. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.